Hi everyone and welcome to Bridging the Gap. I'm your host Kelly Lavelle and in this week we're speaking about emerging technologies and advancing innovation with our expert guest Alan Smithson. Alan is currently an entrepreneur, investor, and co-founder of Metaverse. Through Metaverse, he has entered the world of virtual and augmented reality experiences and is becoming a leader in business applications for AR, VR, and providing insights in this exploding field of technologies. Prior to this, he also invented one of the world's first touchscreen DJ systems, and he also finds time to serve as VP of Marketing for his daughter's company, Made by Abby Inc., I have known Alan for quite some time and he is always on the cusp of what's new and innovative and so I'm so pleased to have him joining us today to talk about how we can bring our innovations to that next level. Thank you again for joining us, Alan. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on this show, Kelly. It's a really honor and I've been, you know, we've known each other for quite a long time and watching your journey has been uh, quite inspiring as well. I mean, you got to meet the queen. That's pretty badass. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, you have, I always, I always like it. Um, your family. So for our listeners out there, you have a family of entrepreneurs. You have, your daughter was an entrepreneur at the age of 10 with her own company. Um, yep. And so it seems like entrepreneurs certainly, entrepreneurs are certainly in your blood. So where, how did you start that journey at, on your own course? I think, it, you know, it all kind of started back in, uh, I guess, high school. I started tinkering around with um, recording mixes and stuff, and I would stay up really late and record uh, a radio show overnight on Saturday nights. And, you know, I'd, I'd set these recordings, and then what I would do is take the tapes and I'd mix them back to back so that it was a continuous mix. And then I would go and sell those tapes to my friends at school. And so that was kind of just a, a way to kind of, I don't know, just embrace my love of music and then from there in university um i was a dj at the the local nightclub there and from there i got to dj you know the nightclubs and the bars and stuff and then i did a wedding once and i was like this is amazing i got to finish at one o'clock i got paid double what i would be paid as a you know in a club or triple and uh then i started a company called star productions that was back almost 20 years ago now and so i've always had my own businesses and then um, out of university, I graduated with a degree in molecular biology and went on to be a pharmaceutical rep and realized really shortly that I was really great at sales. So sales and entrepreneurship go hand in hand. And, you know, a lot of people don't like to admit that they're salespeople or don't like this, you know, oh, I hate sales or this. But really, if you kind of really embrace sales and the fact that everybody's selling something at some point, it really does kind of push you through uh, being an entrepreneur. And I think you cannot be an entrepreneur unless you're a good salesperson. And, you know, it doesn't have to be the typical, Hey, you know, uh, a greasy spoon, you know, sell a, a used car kind of guy. I think it, it more has to be genuine in that you're looking to find solutions for people. And, you know, when you look at it from that standpoint and looking to help people, you end up working with your friends, which really ends up being a, a most spectacular thing because you would never screw your friends because of your friends. And they won't screw you. And you end up with this amazing synergy of everybody trying to help each other. Now, that takes a lot of time. So over the years, I've kind of had different businesses and I've tried to go it on my own. And, you know, I read a book called The 4-Hour Workweek and I tried to, you know, make my life into the 4-Hour Workweek, which I actually ended up working uh, two days a week. I was working Friday, Saturdays, DJing and mountain biking and enjoying life the rest of the time. And then what I realized was I was getting really bored. And so 
I kind of went back and worked a bit harder and, you know, built the company. But then um, I saw this touchscreen DJ controller back in, in 2010. And I was like, what the heck is that thing? And by doing my research, I realized it didn't really exist. It was only um, a quick prototype that somebody had made in their basement. And so I reached out to that person and it ended up being um, a guy by the name of Pablo Martin in Argentina. And Pablo Martin and I became partners in a business called Smithson Martin. And we invented the world's first multi-touch uh, application for the music industry. And you got to understand when we launched this company in 2010 at TEDx Toronto, um, there were no other touchscreens out there. The iPad was literally just being introduced and Windows 7 was, you know, just kind of introducing touch. So touch was a really new thing. And we had kind of fallen into being world leaders in touchscreen technology. So, you know, we've consulted for military, we've consulted for, um, you know, major corporations, our products been in, you know, commercials for HP and Sony and Microsoft, our products been featured at every Microsoft partners conference since 2010 around the world so uh, it's been an amazing journey and you know from that journey I've made every mistake a entrepreneur can make um, I'm sure I'm gonna make some more but oh my god I've failed spectacularly and you know the one rule in business that you know something that's always kept me driving forward was never give up no matter what happens never give up and I mean the last year of my life was really, really tough. Um, I don't know, if, you know, I haven't really announced this to anybody, but I guess we're saying it on the show. Uh, a year ago today, uh, we were homeless. We lost our house. We lost our car. We lost everything. And um, we didn't quite go bankrupt, but damn near. So what had happened was I'd, um, you know, I'd run, uh, run down on money with, uh, with Emulator uh, trying to raise money instead of focusing on sales. We were trying to raise money from investors. And we found an investor who took advantage of the situation that we were running out of money and totally just took over the company and did everything the opposite of what we had told them to do. And instead of just being an investor, they were hands-on and, and just totally ruined the business and then kicked me out of the business. So I got fired from my own company. And because I had co-signed a loan for the company with my house, I lost my house. So... I remember it's interesting because, you know, over the 15 years of being an entrepreneur, uh, Julie always, my wife, Julie always said to me, you know, as long as we don't lose the house. And I remember the day clearly when I was like, sweetheart, I know you mentioned, don't, you know, as long as we don't lose the house, but we lost the house. And it was at that point we actually kind of laughed about it. And we, we were like, oh, well, if that's the worst that can happen, I guess we're okay. And luckily we, we had some amazing friends and family that, um, that supported us through that. And, you know, we got through it um, a year ago and we, we literally lived with our parents, with our kids uh, in the basement for, uh, for a month until we got back on our feet. And then uh, now a year later, I'm the CEO of one of the world's uh, most advanced virtual and augmented reality agencies. Um, it was the first VR agency in Canada. And, you know, I don't know, where we rank in the rest of the world, but uh, we work with some of the world's largest brands. And so, you know, went from being homeless to being a world leader in virtual and augmented reality in less than a year. So things can happen and change as long as you never give up. I love that. And you have such an incredible journey and it very true in terms of entrepreneurship in this sense that there's like really high highs and really low lows. But sometimes I think sometimes, <laughs> 
Yeah, and, and but sometimes I think, too, the perception of entrepreneurship in general, what we know, we see the highs. We don't always see or aware of the lows. Um, sometimes it can look... Facebook's been a great filter. Facebook's been a great filter for people to, you know, post only their amazing wins. But um, yeah, they're, <laughs> the losses suck. <laughs> yeah, I know. We and often we don't talk about those losses, rightfully so. Sometimes I guess well, it's also you want to plaster everywhere, but I think you can learn from them. Absolutely, but I think also, you know, in order to be really successful, uh, a few things have to happen in general, and I think one of them is that you have to remain positive regardless of what's happening. And sometimes people call it, you know, entrepreneur glasses or, you know, tunnel vision or whatever it is. But the way I look at it is that I'm going so fast forward right now that if I look back, I'm going to crash. So looking back at failures, yes, it's okay to, you know, take a minute, go, okay, what did I do wrong and move on. But people who ruminate on their failures don't end up being successful in the long run. And I think that's the important. Yeah, you can talk about it. Hey, I failed. I lost my house. It sucked. And I know the reasons why, and I won't do those things again. But that's not what defines me. What defines me is what I'm doing now and what I'm going to do in the future. Yes. I kind of like, I, I, when you're explaining that, I'm like envisioning like you're speeding on a highway and like you drop something out the window. You're not going to, it's long gone once you're, it's once you look gone. back and realize you dropped it. Right. Um, and I think that's true. Uh, in some sense though, I think the lows are, are important for an entrepreneur's journey because those lows actually give us that fire without that fire and that grit to like go all in and, and pursue what we're doing. Sometimes it's that, that dedication that actually sets us apart in the market and, and makes us successful down the road. Do you find that, 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 that some of these hurdles and kind of in your journey have actually just fueled you for, for um, further forward? Um, two, two things, two ways to look at that. Um, one, when somebody, I have, a, I have two pet peeves when people tell me I can't do something and when people don't, take a meeting with me when I know that I have some value to bring to them. I would never ask somebody for a meeting, but um, when people tell me, no, I can't do something that just pisses me off to the point where now I have to prove them wrong. So if you ever really want something done, just tell me, no, I can't do it and it'll get done. Um, But the other thing that, um, you know, is really, I think as an entrepreneur, you really, you have um, an ego, and one of the things about losing everything and getting your ass completely kicked in business is that ego tends to just go away because, I, yes, I'm confident, but I don't have an ego anymore like I used to. And I think you have to go through that ass kicking and to realize that you are not the best in the world. You are one of many in the world and maybe the best in your field, but you are not the best at everything and nor should you be. And I think you know, having, having business kick you down to the bottom, you lose your ego. And there's a book called Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. Um, and Ryan, uh, he's a friend of ours. And, you know, I think that really does define, you know, successful people in general. They're confident, but they don't have an ego. They're not looking at the world as if I'm better than you. And I think ha- having everything taken away is the only way to, to really kind of have that. You know, I mean, some people maybe are born with it, but I know I was a bit of an asshole um, in my previous life. 
So I think that's a a really interesting perspective, and and I there's a lot of truth in that. You even look at um some of the best run businesses are the ones where um, you have like, for example, the open door policy with leadership where like your front end staff can come in and meet with the CEOs and, and things like that, where there's that, that, that equal level um, kind of playing ground in a work environment. And um, if you take that same concept and apply it maybe to your businesses in terms of sales and um, client relationships and such, um, there's an invisible barrier that you kind of, you, this invisible wall that you kind of take away, you have more authentic, probably deeper relationships um, than you would have if you if you let that ego kind of stand in your way. Yeah, and I, and I think there's a certain amount of confidence that is required to, I mean, let, let's talk about one thing for a second, because I think a lot of people get confused on the difference between a business owner and an entrepreneur. Um, you know, a friend of mine said to me the other day, oh, I, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I said, no, man, you really aren't an entrepreneur. You're a business owner and you have a successful business and you do wonderful at it. But nothing you do is changing the world. You're not changing the status quo. You're not uh, creating new things. You're just reselling things. And, and, you know, you're very good at it and you have a great business. and You make a lot of money. But an entrepreneur looks to change the world. And, you know, we throw that term around quite loosely and, uh, you know, when I look at what I'm doing, what I've always done with, you know, emulator and, you know, what I'm doing now with metaverse, um, the reality is we are literally changing the world. We invented the world's first touchscreen DJ controller. And most recently, we just invented the world's first 360 degree photo booth. So we have a couple of other things in the pipeline that we're working on that will come out in 2017. So we're literally inventing the future. And I think that's what, a, you know, that's what the definition of an entrepreneur is. They invent the future. And so with the technology that we have at our fingertips, we literally, anybody, whether they're nine years old or 90 years old, can invent the future. All you need is a good idea. And, you know, you need some, some guidance. And I think one of the, the things that um, I've realized is that our school systems are just ill-equipped to give that guidance to the future entrepreneurs or, or game changers in the world. And that's why, you know, I'm working on uh, my, my legacy project, which, you know, we've talked about in the past as well. Uh, I'm building an education platform to teach kids how to be entrepreneurs and how to think like entrepreneurs and how to find the resources to change the world. I love that you put, you um, touched on that point because I do feel the word entrepreneurship right now, um, there's a lot of definitions based on who you're speaking to and what an entrepreneur is. Some use it as a word um, to define when someone's in a transition from a job, which I, do not, <laughs> I think undervalues the, the amount of work that we put in as entrepreneurs. Um, and you're right. Others kind of, kind of make it um, kind of see it the same as owning a business. And there is a, a higher level of risk and um, an ability. And I think it goes back to when you, at the very beginning of our of our conversation when you were talking about how entrepreneurship and sales go hand in hand and that successful entrepreneurs are usually successful sales. Um, and I think that what it comes back to is this idea, because as an entrepreneur, you have to sell air in a lot of sense. You're selling an idea. It's, it's a concept, a futuristic um, kind of state that isn't necessarily in fruition quite yet. So you do have to be a natural salesperson because you have to convince others to see the future that you see, but they don't yet understand. And I think that kind of comes That's back to really that root of that entrepreneurship. That's a really good definition. <laughs> 
I dig that. We got to write that one down. Um, it's so true. I mean, when we came up with the concept for the 360 photo booth, it was literally a concept. We said, hey, you know, we've taken a lot of 360 photos. What if we created a green screen, you know, fully round green screen where we could take pictures of people and, you know, Photoshop them in underwater or in space or wherever, right? And it was just a concept. But we, what we did was we created really beautiful slide deck that kind of put our vision on, on just some 2D images because really we couldn't really do it because it didn't exist yet. So we had to go and sell that. And we actually ended up selling that to a client um, as the first in the world. And, you know, they, they loved it. And we ended up, you know, being able to vet our idea. And I think one of the things that, one of the pieces of advice that I've been giving other, uh, other entrepreneurs, uh, you know, and other startups is focus your energies on sales rather than trying to raise money. If you can't make one sale of your product or service, then maybe you probably shouldn't make that product or service. So our business model at Metaverse is pretty simple. We come up with crazy ideas. We pitch them to the world's largest brands. They either buy them or don't. And whether they buy them or not, we, we continue pitching those ideas. And once we have you know, a partner for that, then we fully develop the product and we deliver it at a, you know, at a high level. So that's, that's our business model to create uh, really amazing futuristic technologies for brands. And then, you know, once the brand has had their chance to, to use it, then we, you know, then we democratize it and make it available to the world. I think that's a really good strategy, especially um, in our culture, in the entrepreneurship culture right now. I think there's a little bit of a, a stigma in the sense that, or at least coming out of the accelerators that you almost have to feel like, okay, you do your, you create your business, you do your, your business canvases and you do your market research validation and then you go straight to investment. So you go to, okay, now I got to do my pitch deck and now I got to do investors. And I think there's a, a large proportion that actually miss the go to market part and yeah. actually work with the clients first. Tell them <laughs> what your client actually wants. Ask them yes. what they want. You know what? Show them what your idea is. Ask them how they think it fits into their business, and they'll tell you. You know, my I, I actually hired a, a sales coach at the beginning. Uh, actually, I guess at the beginning of Metaverse, we we hired two uh, two guys to coach us because what I said was, Metaverse is going to explode. We're in a you know we're at the very beginning of virtual reality. We were literally started the company um, uh, in a different iteration a year ago, so we were literally way 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 ahead of anybody in the industry. And I said, look, we're going to grow really, really quick and we're going to, the wheels are going to fall off for sure. So rather than wait until the wheels fall off and then hire a company to fix it, why don't I hire the company to come in and fix it before it breaks? And so I brought these guys in and one of the things that they did was they, they kind of came to some of our sales meetings. And the best thing I ever learned from, from Tom and Lloyd at Velocity Plus was to ask a simple question at the beginning of a sales meeting. And this question, I, if, if you guys are listening, I would write this down and practice this at every single meeting. It's so simple and so effective. So what we do now for our sales meetings is we bring in uh, virtual reality. We bring in augmented reality. We do demos. We show them, here's, here's all a bunch of cool examples of what other people are doing or what we've done for other people. Here's some stuff. Then we sit down and the first question is what, do you hope to get out of this meeting with us? And I'll be honest, 
that's the only question you need to ask. And they just go on and on and on about everything. Because once you've shown people an example of what's possible, you don't know their business or we don't know their business anywhere near as much as they, as they do. By asking the question, how do you see this working or what do you, you, know, what do you want to get out of this? They just ramble on for hours about how they see this technology affecting their business. And I've never had anything else in my life so easy that I literally just sit and listen and make notes for however long they talk for. I don't, I know, and I ask for some clarification, but I literally just sit and make notes. And from there we leave, we go make a pitch deck of everything they told us. We make it look pretty. We, we clear it up. We kind of add in the tech, like what, you know, oh, I want to, you know, I could see myself and my company using this for a sales tool for our, our, you know, field agents or whatever it is. So what we come back to them with, Here's three ways to use this as a sales tool for your agents. And they're like, oh, my God, this is the best idea ever. I'm like, yeah, because you thought of it. And you're really, instead of selling somebody your ideas, you're selling them their own ideas, which they're always going to buy into. So that, that's my advice to people when you want to do sales. Shut the hell up. Show them you know, some ideas to get their brain going and then ask them what they think, how it would work. I, that's incredible advice. It's actually something that I've experienced um, firsthand in the sense that I think it's a little bit of a founder syndrome in honesty. It's the fact that when I used to go into meetings, I used to be so excited about the product. I'd be like, oh, and it does this and this and this. And oh, did you know it does yeah. this? And I would just be like, future, like, I would just like feature word vomit everywhere. <laughs> yep. And then I realized exactly. that um, they would just sit back and by the end of it, they would just kind of be stunned and they'd just be like, oh, that's nice. And then... And you just overwhelm them, uh, and the more and I'm I'm trying to teach myself very much with your coaching in the sense of ask questions. Don't it, the more questions you ask, the more effective usually your conversations are. Um, you should be listening and digesting, not so much actually kind of selling your product. Um, and generally, when you do that, you end up selling it because, like you said, you're kind of putting their their ideas and their words and what their needs kind of right back to them. Exactly. And at the end of the meeting, what we, what we do is, you know, you've made two pages of notes and you literally just go back to the top of the page and say, you know, you said this, is this, is, you know, and I understood it as this, is that correct? Okay. And you just go down, reiterate all of the things, the points that they said, make sure that you're, you know, hundred percent clear on every point. Then say, listen, I'll come back to you with a proposal and you just go away, come back with a proposal that fits what they need because they told you what they need and that's it. And so, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are building future changing technologies, but I can tell you that a lot of times the technology that, the, that they're building is based on, you know, maybe they have 13, you know, years experience in, you know, uh, in mining or whatever, whatever it is, they've got years, you know, years of experience, but a lot of the newer technology driven entrepreneurs don't have any experience. They, they see, uh, you know, uh, something, you know, uh, a product in the marketplace so like I can make that better but what they don't realize is sometimes it doesn't need to be better or maybe maybe the features that they're adding nobody gives a crap about so you know I think by listening you really do get a sense of what paying people want <laughs> mm-hmm. and then following on that on that point so the once we're in the meeting um, we can ask these questions but when you are selling something new or so futuristic, such as emerging technology, how do you have any um, strategies or advice for um, young entrepreneurs to actually get that first meeting? Oh, um, I think 
being able to offer value before you even go. So for example, um, I want, let's say I want to have a meeting with the CEO of, I don't know, Amazon, right? So you got to ask yourself, why would I, why would the CEO of Amazon want to meet with me? And, you know, the answer is not, oh, because I have some cool tech. They don't care. Um, what the answer is, is I have some cool tech that can revolutionize your supply chain management. And that will save you $37 billion a year. You know, I don't know of a CEO on earth that's not going to take a call, a call or a meeting for that. The second thing that I do, um, and this is kind of my, my trick, um, I have an assistant that works for me. Uh, she happens to be my wife as well. She's amazing. And what I do is I go on the assumption, once I have something that I want to present to somebody, and I, I never go to the bottom first. I always go to the CEO or president first. That's the other tip. Never go below because you end up having to go up the ranks and it takes forever. Whereas if you go to straight to the CEO, the CEO will say, oh yeah, you got to talk to Sally in accounting and Sally will get you sorted. Now by him making the introduction to Sally, you instantly now have Sally's full attention because her boss, the CEO just referred you. So go straight mm -hmm. to the CEO is the first thing. But when you go there, Make sure you bring, you have ready for you a value that is unprecedented. Because if you just go in there saying, hey, I want to chat, what the hell do you want to chat about? No, get out, of my, get out of my office. You must go in there with something defined, even though you're just going to go and listen and you know, you're going to show them a little bit and listen, but you have to go in there with a value driving proposition. And if you don't have that, then don't call them. Wait until you have something. The, the second tip that I, that I use all the time is that I go on the assumption that people are going to meet with me. And I remember I told you my, one of my pet peeves is people that don't meet with me. Yes. I always go on the assumption that people want to meet with me because I'm bringing value. If I want to meet with the head of uh, Amazon, okay, I've got this thing. It's going to you know, revolutionize Amazon. Uh, I find out his email or I get an introduction from somebody on LinkedIn or whatever it is. <clears throat> and I say, hey, I have this thing. I think it'll drive massive value for you. Um, is it you I should speak to directly or somebody in your organization? And so they'll tell me. And what I do then is I say, okay, Julie will set it up. And that way it's out of my hands. It's already assumed that we're making the meeting. And Julie then follows up with, you know, here's, uh, here's Alan's availability for the next, you know, two days and select the, and it, we have a system where you just literally click the, the time that works for you and it puts it into my calendar. So, having a, a third party or a second person make your appointments for you, you can kind of be a little bit cocky and basically assume that you're, you're going to have the meeting. And it does two things. One, it, it, you're not the one chasing down the meeting because most very successful people, uh, CEOs and whatnot, they have somebody, they have a Julie. And so you're not dealing with them. You say, Hey, you know, we're going to meet. Okay, great. We agreed to meet now our secretaries or our, our, our assistants are going to organize that. So it does two things. It frees up a lot of time because making an appointment takes a lot of time and effort and back and forth in emails and stuff. The second thing is it just, it buys you a super amount of credibility because as a busy CEO or a busy person, most busy people don't make their own schedules. Uh, there's, you know, there's a few, but most people don't just because it, it is so time consuming, especially, you know, my schedule is literally 15 minute blocks. So, you know, I, there's no way I could manage my, my calendar and do my job. So by having somebody do that for me, it, I don't know, it just automatically 
by the validity that you can't get. Now, I also have, you know, a history I've got, uh, you know, it's not my first rodeo, but I think just being confident that you're bringing value and that you deserve that meeting, that goes a long way and it'll go a long way in getting those meetings. I think that's really true. And particularly, um, reflecting that value in the outreach. I've been at fault when I've kind of first started um, almost in the sense of I didn't want to kind of step on toes, so to speak. So it'd be like, it'd be great to exchange insights or to sit and keep it very general because I didn't want to sound like, hey, I want to sell you my product. Can I have a meeting with you? (laughs) And I found that I I had somebody email me the other day. They're like, hey, you know, I want to meet with you. I'm like, okay, what specifically do you want to meet about? Oh, I just want to get together and have a coffee guess what you got? You got no meeting. I'm sorry. I'm not going to sit with somebody just to have a coffee. I'm sorry. If there's no agenda, there's no reason for me there and you're not bringing value. I'm not taking a meeting with you. I'm sorry. Just until you have a real reason to call me and have a meeting, I'm happy to do it. But even from my standpoint, if I'm looking at it from my end and people call me and say, Hey, I just want to chat. Well, you know what? I I love that you just want to chat, but go chat with your friends. Don't take up my time. You know, go, I don't know why I just don't want to deal with that. And my time is very valuable. And the time spent just chatting with somebody over coffee, I could be spending that with my daughters and, you know, going to their school or whatever. I have other things in my life that I love to do and sitting and having coffee with a random stranger who wants to meet with me to talk about nothing really doesn't fall under the list of things I want to do. Exactly. And well, that's the thing too, when we're so busy, like that time, there's so many, we're either thinking about what we could be doing with that time. So you need to provide value in order to, to really kind of take yourself away from what you're doing. And I, I learned that the hard way of being specific is actually very effective. So don't feel like you're, you're being too salesy. If you put it in a, a proper way, like you said, provide value, show them yeah, how the other, you're going to the benefit thing, them. The other thing you want to know is, look, I'm, I'm selling this X, Y, Z. I think it will drive value because of this. Here's, you know, here's, what we do and here's why I want to meet with you. I want to show you this thing. It's, I think it's going to drive value because of this, this, and this. And what's the worst they can tell you? No. Now, most successful entrepreneurs and successful CEOs and, and people who are running big companies, they don't want to miss any opportunities. So if you come to somebody and say, I have this revolutionary technology, I think it's going to be great for your business and make you a lot of money. They're not going to say no. They may not take a meeting with you. For example, here's an example. I, um, I wanted to meet with the, the head of a very large semiconductor company. They also make, um, you know, video cards and stuff. So I reached out on LinkedIn. I said, listen, there looks like there's a lot of synergies between our companies. I want to discuss some of the projects we're working on specifically and how to get you, your team involved. He said, no problem. My schedule is rammed. I need you to talk to, you know, my business, my biz dev guy, whatever, Bob. And so I made an appointment with Bob and we're going to talk about it. And eventually what will happen is Bob will go back and say, I spoke to these guys. I really think we should meet with them. And here's why. Boom, boom, boom. And that way I haven't, you know, I've gone to the CEO. He's pushed me on to Bob and I'm perfectly happy to deal with Bob. But uh, the message will get relayed back up the chain because it was referred by the CEO. And because one of the other things is I've been following this guy on LinkedIn. And every time he posts an article, I read the article and I put a little comment in every time. So that's another way to kind of just, because if you look at, you know, the people you want to sell to, the people you want to work with, they're just people. They do, you know, they, they are looking for social validation just like everybody else. So they post an article and it gets, you know, 10 likes and no comments. 
Well, guess what? If you are the only person to comment on that, guess what they're going to read? They're going to read your comment. They're going to see your name. And so I did this for the last you know, six months. And before I even sent him a message, I, I commented on almost everything he posted. Um, I shared some of the things and, you know, I was really engaged in his social media. Not because, you know, not because I wanted to kiss his ass, but at the same time, the articles that were, were he was writing were pertinent to my business. And I wasn't just doing it to be a kiss ass, but more to be, you know, to show support. Listen, this is, we're all in this together, especially in, you know, virtual reality. We're at the very beginning of this. So we really are in kind of a, you know, a nascent very beginning stage of virtual reality. So, you know, a year ago, all of my friends in virtual reality now run huge companies because a year ago they were in it. And now they're, <laughs> they're the world's experts because the whole industry is a year old or, you know, a little bit older than that. But, you know, for the, for the general public, virtual reality is about a year old. And so mm-hmm. be getting, by getting in early, all of my friends are now running these virtual reality for big companies. So it's really kind of cool. You know, getting in really early is also some way to, to get yourself ahead. Seeing technologies think, before yeah. they become a thing. Well, it all goes back to the very first thing we were talking about being uh, as an entrepreneur, being that visionary, being able to see something that hasn't yet been created or a future and helping to have get others to see that future with you is really, I think, in essence of an entrepreneur. And I think some of those strategies of starting because of that, because we're seeing something that's, that isn't possible or isn't invented yet or as such we're already innately creative if we are one of the founders and such so using those creative um, juices so to speak and applying that to our strategies and building those relationships I love that technique of kind of commenting on the posts and stuff that's a really creative a way to start to just become on the radar a little bit and become familiar so you're not just calling them out of the blue and being like in random they might actually notice and be like oh I've seen you on Twitter or I remember when we Believe when it, you commented here they may not say it outright, but I can tell you this, you know, if, if you post just a little comment, oh, great article or whatever, I can tell you most things that are on LinkedIn, LinkedIn's my preferred now. Um, I used to use Twitter. And when I started using Twitter in 2010, uh, I actually used Twitter to connect with uh, DJs uh, because we were selling DJ products. And so I flew to Ibiza for the summer and I set a Twitter alert. So anytime a big DJ that was on my list of people that I wanted to meet, Anytime they mentioned the word Ibiza, it would send me an alert and say, okay, this person mentioned Ibiza. And sometimes it was, okay, I'm flying to Ibiza, whatever. Uh, Other times it would be, oh, I'm eating at this restaurant uh, in Ibiza. So I would jump in my car, load up my demo gear, and I would drive over to the restaurant and be like, oh, hey, you know, great to see you here. And I would just use that because that was before people realized the geotags were attached to Twitter. So you could actually stalk people on Twitter. And so I used that technology to get in front of the biggest DJs in the world. And which actually, I think it leads right into some of our, our rapid fire Twitter chat questions that we're going to be, mm-hmm. um, we're asking our, some of our listeners and kind of building on that when, cause you talked about kind of when you were young, when you would do um, kind of drive um, to these, these DJs and demo and be creative and kind of just kind of put yourself all out there in a sense of for your ideas. Do you feel that millennials and youth are, shaping the technology landscape more in business? Um, are we more apt to take on these new technologies and integrate them in? So the, the answer to that is clear. Um, when I was born, 
I there were really no computers. And then in grade school, we had, you know, we had the, the very first Macs and stuff like that, um, where you could like draw a straight line. <laughs> that was about it. Um, when I, I, I look back to university, I started university in 90, 1995. And when I started, there was two computers in the library that you could use uh, to check your email. And email was only text at that point. So, you know, every once in a while, you get this really cool picture that was made out of like ASCII characters. Um, but that was the extent of the internet. It was literally for email that was only text. Uh, even looking up books and stuff, we'd look them up online and then we'd have to go up into the stacks and take it and photocopy it. And so imagine that's no longer a thing. So every kid today is born with the world's knowledge at their fingertips. My children grew up with iPads and iPhones and I everything from the day they were born. My kids now have virtual reality available to them. So uh, and, and while virtual reality is still in the very, very early stages, my vision for that is to create education platforms where you can learn anything from the world leader in that thing. You want to learn about, um, you know, how to, uh, how to paint a painting from a world's master. Well, we can set up a 360 camera and they can walk you through. And in virtual reality, you can sit there and watch a world's master give you tips on how they save time, how they you know, clean their brushes, whatever it is, I don't know, but you can learn from the world's experts because you look at the way the school system is uh, around the world and, and it's not a fault of the school system. They did a very good job at educating as many people as possible. But if you look at it now, it's kind of obsolete because you've got a teacher who was not the top in their class, is not the best in the world at anything and is teaching five or six different subjects that they are, may or may not even understand themselves beyond, you know, the, 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 what they're teaching in curriculum. So, you know, you have a, a teacher who is not the best in the world instead of, you know, learning from the best in the world. And I think we, we are at an inflection point right now in technology where um, everybody under 30 years old has an iPhone or a, or a smartphone, let's call it, or, a, you know, an Android or whatever it is. They have access to Google, which gives them the world's knowledge at their fingertips very soon they'll have access to virtual reality, which means they can now, instead of just reading about it or seeing it on video, they can experience what it was like to be, you know, to, to be in the space shuttle or, or to, uh, to paint a painting or whatever it is. Anything you want to do will be available in virtual reality within the next couple of years. And that medium, that is the next true medium for, uh, for the world. And VR and AR represent the next way to educate people. And so that's why I started Metaverse. Uh, my my long-term project is, uh, or my long-term vision is to create an education platform where kids learn all about entrepreneurship from two sides. Because I, I, I realized that there's two distinct camps of success. You've got the business success, you've got business, marketing, um, financial planning, um, investing, all of that sort of thing. And then on the other side, you've got things that aren't taught anywhere like mindfulness, uh, deep breathing, surrounding yourself with great people, positivity, gratefulness, uh, gratitude, practicing gratitude. So why don't we teach all of those things to our kids? So when my kid goes to school, why isn't she learning how to take deep breaths and meditate and how to write down what she's grateful for all day, you know, uh, a couple times a day, or that sort of thing. It's very simple, and it's simple habits that if we start very, very young, those will create ridiculously successful people in the future. 
Well, I think that mindfulness and that other piece um, is very important um, because especially if you do end up doing something like an entrepreneurial journey where you're going into an industry like emerging technology, um, it can be a long journey. It can be a stressful journey. And if you don't have that mindfulness, you, because there's no, I don't think there's really such thing as balance for an entrepreneur in the early stages. Um, there, there's more work-life integration and learning to kind of integrate it into your life and um, have that mindfulness as a piece. It really helps you in overcoming some of those ups and downs and being giving you a stronger um, foundation to be able to overcome and and get back up again when you do have those falls. Um, so I think yeah. that's and important. I can tell you the one thing, if I can tell listeners, the one thing that, that made the difference between me giving up uh, when we lost everything and, and not um, was just practicing gratitude. I have a thing called the five minute journal uh, that was written by two friends of mine, Alex Icon and UJ Ramdas. Ramdas. And um, that five minute journal, actually I have it. Hold on. Give me two seconds. I have it right here. I've got like 10 of them because I've been using them for the years. But so basically the the five minute journal uh, has three things. So I am grateful for one, two, three. What would make today great? One, two, three. Daily affirmations. I am great. I'm wonderful, whatever. And three amazing things that happened today. And how could I have made today better? That is just, that's one day. And so by answering those questions every single day, you set yourself up for extreme success. It's amazing. So that I highly recommend the five minute journal. And I also recommend um, the miracle morning. Uh, it's a book um, that, and I can't remember who wrote it. Uh, Hal yes. Elrod. Hal Elrod. Um, and so two, two books that I recommend the five minute journal um, miracle morning by Hal Elrod. And then also the one thing that I recommend to people is find, find your tribe, find some sort of mentorship group, um, for example, there's one here in Toronto called the Toronto Entrepreneurs of Purpose and Passion. And basically, it's a group of entrepreneurs that help each other. And so that, um, that really helps, you know, having, having a network of people as well. It's not any one thing. Practicing, you know, gratitude is one thing, but having friends you can reach out to is another thing as well. And uh, there's a saying, your network is your net worth. So keep that in mind. That's uh, very true. It's, that having that support system is um, really important, as you, especially sometimes because when you have ideas and such, sometimes you can feel alone in those ideas when not everyone gets it right away. But sometimes <laughs> finding, like you said, finding that tribe of fellow individuals who. <laughs> yeah, the worst thing when your parents, you know, you tell your parents an idea and they're like, you're crazy, just get a job. And you're like, well, but. You don't understand. I, I'm going to change the world. And they're like, yeah, just get a job. And you're like, no, but you don't understand. <laughs> it's um, and For our listeners, understand that that is what all many of us entrepreneurs experience, and you're not alone. <laughs> and so find your tribe of like-minded entrepreneurs who are just as equally as crazy as you <laughs> and see a better world and um, use that as your support system. I've, I've had that experience, too, and I've just learned to accept sometimes and to the fact that I just accept that some people just aren't going to get it until they see it and just accept that, okay, they'll get, they'll get on my, my train or my bandwagon, so to speak, um, when it's in the market or when it, when it comes to fruition and just accept yeah. that and find those who understand you in the meantime to kind of get you through. <laughs> and exactly. then, um, 
you've been so this is such an incredible uh, conversation. I know um, that we could go on forever in terms of some of the entrepreneur trials and such that we've gone through. Um, but one kind of wrap up question I wanted to ask you to kind of leave our listeners as we've kind of gone in and out of um, emerging ideas and technology and such is in today's digital era, do you perceive technology as an enabler, a solution, or just a necessary part of business? Hmm. All three. So as an enabler, uh, you look at my daughter as an example. When she was nine years old, she came up with an idea to make sandals that leave a heart-shaped tan line on top of your feet called the love sandal. And without a little technology called Kickstarter, there's no way that idea would have ever become a real thing. But because we had a technology that she could take some photos, put them on a website, make a video, and fund a company, that technology changes the world and that that is an enabler for anybody in the world to start a business i think by having a cell phone um and and giving kind of the world access to uh, internet and access to banking and things that they would never have access to around the world we're democratizing a lot of the the services i was just reading um a thing where you can use your cell phone to take a blood pressure measurement i mean stethoscopes we take it for granted our doctors have them, but you know, a stethoscope is about a $200 tool and that's not something they have in rural villages in Africa. And now they have a cell phone that can do that and diagnose, um, you know, problems way beyond. And so I think we've enabled everybody the ability to do two things. One, uh, democratize communications. And I think just by doing that, the world will be, fundamentally different and is fundamentally different. You know, Twitter has changed the world of how we consume news. It's still not perfect, but we're getting there. And then as far as, um, you know, businesses using it, if businesses aren't using tech, and I'm not saying use everything, you know, Snapchat doesn't make sense for some companies, but I, I think you should definitely look at it and be like, okay, well, does it, do we want to go after anybody under 30? Well, then we should be on Snapchat. If we don't, then don't. But, um, that's the reality is that all of these technologies pop up and I think it's imperative that everybody pays attention to them, at least the big ones, virtual reality, augmented reality, um, uh, artificial intelligence, robotics, uh, drones. These are all things that are going to directly impact our lives immediately. And we should just at least keep on top of them a little bit um, because everybody is going to be impacted and affected by it. And it's only going to increase. So, We've been following Moore's law, which means technology doubles uh, every seven years and halves in price. So what's happening now? And imagine like you had a computer with two megabytes and then four megabytes and eight megabytes. Now we're at two terabytes, four terabytes. Then it's going to be petabytes. And, you know, so it does, if you think about the way it's growing, it's going to hit an inflection point very shortly where technology increases at an exponential rate that is not ever been seen in history so by the time you know my kids are 20 we're going to have technologies that we couldn't have even fathomed today things are going to you know well i can give you one prediction there will be nobody driving cars because it'll all be autonomous cars ai will be around us everywhere answering all of our questions for us we'll think it and it'll be there the answer so it really becomes how do you transition the world away from uh, a manufacturing society where we had to build roads and highways and infrastructure and cities and buildings to 
a more digital creative uh, world where, you know, things are all done for us. So let's transition our life to leisure and in solving real world problems around the world where, you know, uh, half the world still doesn't have access to clean water. Let's fix that. Let's put our creative um, brains to work collectively to solve these world problems. And, and with technology, we can solve every single world problem. We can feed every person on earth and we can, you know, we can really democratize things that we take for granted now to everybody. And we all have the power to do it. And it starts with that idea and sometimes being just crazy enough to pursue that idea as we've talked about today in our, in our episode, I want to thank you so much, Alan, for taking the time to share some of your journey and insights with our, with the bridging the gap community for our listeners. We want to hear what you think, share with us your thoughts and insights on some of the conversations we've spoken about today and participate in our Twitter chat. Use the hashtag bridging the gap. You can tag me Kelly A. Lavelle and we look forward to sharing your thoughts. Thank you again for being with us today, Alan. Awesome. Thanks, Kelly. I appreciate it. Have a great day.